You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the Mailbag Edition. Answering all your questions. Uh, first off, just a quick apology to everybody. Uh, the five-star reviews last week. Uh, the program that I used to kind of compile all those, it didn't update. So there were some from last week that we didn't get to. So we're going to try to get to those today for sure. Uh, lots, lot of questions as always. Thank you for, for uh, you know, asking all of them, everybody. Uh, and here to help me answer them are my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina with a fresh haircut. My goodness. Maddie Lane, what's good? Besides your hair. Everything. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to get to my Kent Swanson hair. It, my hair does not do what Kent's does. It is not that glorious. It's unfortunate and sad. <laughs> but I'm feeling really good because while the Renaissance man may be more handsome than me, he may be smarter than me, he may know more about everything in life, including football, than me, my player to watch, Legereus Sneed, put his player to watch, Rashad Fenton, on the bench... And had a big game doing so. So, Craig, how does it feel that I finally did something better than you? Maddie, you you do, like, literally minute by minute, you do things better than me. I don't know. The reason I have this nickname is because I'm terrible at everything. This is this is why I have it. It's in jest. Yes, of course, Maddie Craig Newmore. tries a lot of things. <laughs> Maddie... Definitely nailed it. I think I even said that I'm curious to see how much Rashad Fenton plays in the nickel and in the dime. And look at that. Yeah. So great call, Maddie. Well, Craig, maybe Matt, maybe, maybe Rashad Fenton should have played more because PFF gave Legereus Need a 52. We don't need to go there. Just saying. <laughs> Time to answer your questions. Uh, a lot of five star reviews, like I said, Sir Nick 911. Asks hypothetical COVID runs rampant and the NFL requires teams to switch to a three on three configuration. Is there any team better than the Chiefs with Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill? Thanks, boys, and go Chiefs. All right, this pains me to say it, but I think it depends on the rules because the best team might be Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and McCole Hardman instead of Travis Kelsey. Because if there's a limit to win a rush, a prayer can rush Patrick Mahomes just put the two guys that run faster than anybody else on the field together and I mean you can't stop it if there's a you know three second count before you can rush Mahomes now if a pass rusher can come right away yeah give me Kelsey I think you need the bigger body guy he's clearly a better player but in the hypothetical 3v3 on the playground you just pick your best athletes and I think McCole Hardman does that plus McCole Hardman defensive back experience and it shows sometimes on the field boom Austin asks, are Chiefs fans' expectations just too high, or is it okay to not want a Super Bowl contender to play down to almost every team? You know, I was thinking about this a little bit during the during the postgame show. Like, 
<laughs> there was just a lot of like we we provided a lot of commentary and critiques and like I really I do want to support like I think I think doing I think making critiques is important. Um, I don't think. You know, I think first off, I think it'd be boring if everybody just came and said, "Well, this team won the Super Bowl last year, so I guess there's nothing to talk about. We'll just wait until Sunday." I think there's things that can keep this team from winning a Super Bowl, and we try to address them. There probably is like a little bit of, um, and we're guilty of it too. I think just like the expectations might be a little bit too high in the sense that maybe we expect this team to play their best football every single week, and maybe that's just not feasible. And, you know, this team's won, I mean, how many games in the last, like they've lost one game in the last like calendar year or close to it. So, I mean, we, we got to give this team a lot of props. Winning close is still winning, but there is definitely some things that could potentially keep them from winning a Super Bowl. And like we try to point it out and other people that are maybe, you know, having those high expectations, they point that stuff out too. Cross break it 07 since Derek Carr or since David Carr tweeted never a doubt with a photo of demon Derek Carr. Derek Carr has one touchdown and five turnovers. He's actually scored as many touchdowns for the other team. So my question has an NFL quarterback ever been cursed by his brother before this? No, no, but an NFL safety has ask Earl Thomas. Next question. Let's oh! go. But well, the show's got to end. <laughs> That's going to do it for the AP Laboratory. <laughs> oh, okay. Glankster asks, <laughs> did did Tyreek Hill get fined for throwing the deuces on his historic day in Tampa Bay? No, he did not. Tuck Hag reaches out and asks, I follow the draft as much as you guys. Based on my board, at pick 33, uh, as pick 33 was approaching, I was wanting Jeremy Chin. I wasn't sure how Thornhill's recovery was going. Plus, I think in today's NFL, having multiple good safeties is an asset. After they took Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I said I understood it and thought he'd be a huge weapon. Now, I think my instinct, my first instinct was correct. So, as of now, would you rather have Jeremy Chin or Antoine Winfield uh, rather than Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Keep in mind, Damien Williams would be there if we don't draft Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I think even without Damien Williams being here, I don't. I think my answer is the same. I would consider going a different route, and Jeremy Chin and Antoine Winfield would be right there at the top of my list. I was similar to you. I did not think that I wanted a running back at the end of the first round, but I understood what the Chiefs were trying to do with it. I just don't think they have figured out how to do it yet and it's early I don't think that Clyde is not a good pick at 32 yet I don't think it's bad I think that they might just need another offseason to figure out how to implement him as more than just a runner if he starts doing the stuff that Daryl Williams is doing but with his skill set I think you're gonna see a lot more impact out of him but just right now as a rookie it hasn't been anywhere close to what I expected so the early returns are yeah I would much rather have Jeremy Chin playing dime linebacker and as a safety or Antoine Winfield playing as a safety than what we've seen from Clyde so far uh yeah I would I'd rather I'm just gonna say it I think I'd rather have Jeremy Chin like just hands down than Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, I'm I'm kind of disappointed in his utilization right now in the passing game, and it really hasn't grown. It really hasn't progressed all that much. And if that's really not going to be utilized the way I was hoping it was going to be, then they should probably just. I mean, they, they need help in that back end. So Jeremy Chen's balled out. 
Jeremy Chin's better than I thought he was going to do. I, this is kind of an admission, too. I don't think I was this high on Jeremy Chin, and Jeremy Chin's played outstanding early on so far. Um, his versatility, his skill set would be great here in Kansas City. And I, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I'm not calling him a bust or anything like that, but I, the thing that was really getting me excited about him was his ability in the passing game, and like we're basically punting on this season in that regard. I don't really care about his runs. Like I, I genuinely don't care about the running as much as I do about the pass game, and the pass game's not there. Man, I love Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin is Isaiah Simmons drafted in the right spot. And he has been fantastic so far for Carolina. Really loved Antoine Winfield as well. Guys, if you go back, if you fast forward or rewind back to the, our draft podcast and everything like that, we were talking about Xavier McKinney, Grant Delpit, Jeremy Chin, Antoine Winfield as guys that we would be perfectly fine with taking it 32 guys that we thought would help change this defense would add that extra element and of course leading up to the draft and right after the draft we definitely hammered all the running back takes we don't need to belabor the point we don't need to sit there and hammer that every single week this is what it is now but yeah I, I would absolutely love as the defensive guy to have a chess piece like Jeremy Chin to go along with the chess piece that is Tyron Matthew. I think that would revolutionize the middle of the field for the Chiefs defense, help block some things out, help them just be better in the middle, which obviously helps everything all over the defense. Cedric24, uh, he says, how soon before Steven Wisniewski and Martinez Rankin can take over the left guard and right guard roles? Really hope we do something to shore up that interior offensive line for the stretch run. Well, I think you're running out of time, frankly, for, for, the, for the move to be made because you want a little bit more time, you know, getting ramped up into the playoffs. I think I'm really kind of, I'm just not optimistic that Martinez Rankin is going gonna to get uh, any kind of significant opportunity. Um just because I think it's real, like he hasn't played le- he hasn't played legitimate football in over a year. He didn't get training camp. He was on the pup list for that entire time. So really, he's only got whatever version of football they're getting in practice right now. That's the the extent to which he's played in the last year. That's a tough ask for that guy to come in. So I don't think Martinez Rankins really. I think he's kind of just a breaking case of emergency guy. Although I do believe in his talent, and I think he's a good football player, and I think he could help this team. I think it's just a big ask for him. Wisniewski, you could see him get. I think you could see him fitting in here at some point. I think he's an. It's an easier ask for him to get thrown into the mix. And again, the guys he's replacing, not much. Not much to write home about right now. All right, time to jump to the Twitter questions. DW Overdrive, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely do you think it is Frank Clark has an injury that's limiting his effectiveness? I've noticed some things that suggest that when he tries to dip in and dip in or dip and in pursuit at times, wondering if I'm the only one. You're not the only one. Um, he you know, but I mean, you remember last year when he looked lighter? He was struggling to play with his hands. And it comes out that he has, you know, some some illnesses that he's dealing with. He's, you know, there's all kinds of there's mystery about his injury. I think we've kind of just like forgot about that because Frank Clark played like an absolute monster during the during the playoffs and was outstanding. I kind of just wonder if if it's a similar kind of thing, and we just kind of forgot about some of the storylines of Frank Clark last year because the Chiefs messed around and won a Super Bowl afterwards. But this might just be something to keep an eye on moving forward for the duration of Frank Clark's career. You know, he does he doesn't look like the guy that we saw in the playoffs. He looks a lot more like the guy that we saw at times in the regular season, struggling to use his hands, maybe a little bit light, talking about how he lost a lot of weight with his with his illness and all that stuff. 
this could just be a reality with Frank Clark that we're going to have to deal with. Let's see what happens when the playoffs come, what kind of player we get when he when he's there. So if one means I think he has no injury and 10 means I absolutely think he does, I'm going to sit right into five because I am not going to pretend to know what he's dealing with. I will say that at, from a rush plan perspective, he's rushing nothing like he did when he was in Seattle. He's rushing nothing like he did to start the year or he did last year in the playoffs. He is very much, like Kent said, playing a lot like he did last year in the middle of the season. But I'm not going to say for sure that it's like an, that I know, and I know Kent isn't either, saying this is some kind of injury-related thing. He could literally just be taking the easy way out and just trying to run up the arc. He could just simply not be wanting to try more stuff. Maybe it's a long season. He's playing a lot of snaps. I honestly have no idea what the cause is. He is not using his power rush moves whatsoever, and that was what his go-to move was. That was his primary rush plan in Seattle when he first got to Kansas City. It's gone. I do know that he had elbow injuries in both arms, three of them within a single year right before coming to Kansas City. I know it was kind of rumored that maybe that was part of the uh, stinger or the neck injury that he had last year. We couldn't feel his fingers that maybe that was related a little bit. That's just a rumor. So maybe there is something there. Maybe his elbows never feel good after during the middle of a season. I don't know. I just know that if Frank Clark keeps this play up, this style of play, not the production, just the style of play, he will never get to the point to where he was last year in the playoffs to the Chiefs or be the player the Chiefs signed. He has to rush this full pass rush arsenal, and until he does, until he gets effective again using his hands, using his power, it's simply not going to change. Yeah, teams aren't focusing on Frank the same way that they did to start last year when he was dealing with the, the arm and the hand issues, the weight loss issues, the stomach issues, everything like that. Teams were still treating him like the pass rusher that he was in Seattle. And teams didn't really make that adjustment. There at the end of the year, Frank Clark was the monster that we expected him to be. Well worth every single penny that the Chiefs paid him. This season, it seems like offenses are realizing that he is dealing with something. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's just a change in his pass rush plan. I don't know if it's a legitimate injury. We just don't know. We haven't heard anything. And Frank's not going to sit there and, and tip anything off as he shouldn't. But teams are treating him a little differently. They're not paying him the same sort of attention. They're not avoiding his side of the field anymore. It's not the same sort of thing. He still makes splash plays in the run game. But the problem is... They're paying him to be a big pass rusher. There's still plenty of time for him to come out here. There's still plenty of time for him to be the player that we all know that he can be. And, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I'd condoned for playoff Sammy Watkins and I wasn't cool with playoff Frank Clark. I'm good with it. He's going to show up. He's going to give it his all because he's a tough dude that's just going to be there and be going as hard as he can. Let's just hope that as hard as he can steps up the play a little bit more in the playoffs. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will be back with more of your questions right after this. Mailbag edition of the AP Laboratory answering your questions. And Guwop, Juwop, I don't know, G-U-W-O-P, and he asks, how much of the red zone woes can be attributed to the offensive line, Maddie? 
I think a fair amount. I, you see the issue when the Chiefs try to run the ball at all in the red zone, especially with a more traditional run play. They get no movement. A lot of times they don't really even open up cutback lanes. And I know some people are going to come at me with like screenshots of a one play out of like 18 runs where the running back could have cut all the way across field or outran three people to the sideline. Like, Yes, if you freeze it, you might be able to find something, but when you look at the structure of the run and how a running back works through his keys, there's not a lot there. I'm not saying that Le'Veon Bell or Clyde Wittedzielaire are getting every single yard available in the red zone. There has been some misses like there's going to be with any running back, but they are not consistently getting good looks. That interior offensive line is a struggle. Now, in pass protection, I'm not as sure. I don't think the team loses that quickly in pass protection that you can't run very basic, typical, traditional red zone passing concepts. The Chiefs just choose not to do so. It's hard to say specifically that you can put this on the offensive line, but it definitely doesn't help. They don't feel like they can line up and run for a yard up the gut. And they just invested in a first round running back. And that didn't change it. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will make a guy miss in the backfield, but when you get into those situations, defenses just tee off, they can penetrate gaps, they they don't have to worry about too terribly much if the Chiefs just line up and pound the ball between the tackles because they're going to win. They're going to get a tackle for loss. We see a lot of those happen in obvious running situations. Defensive lines are able to just push, penetrate, and tackle these running backs into the backfield. If you had an interior offensive line worth their weight in, you know, in run blocking, basically, you would see a lot more movement. You would get defensive lines blown off the ball a little bit more. It just doesn't happen on a regular basis. It needs to be better. And before any of that can happen, yeah, the Andy Reid's got to be able to trust them in the red zone, which he certainly doesn't, which is why you get a lot of the cute stuff near the goal line. Chief Lutz 11 asks, are the red zone problems because the Chiefs don't have a big X receiver and rely on all motion? We got the offensive line question. Now we're getting a question about the X receiver. Uh, I mean, if no, this team doesn't need Jody Fortson, if that's the question. Uh, they never need Jody Fortson, and I don't understand why we continue I, We continue to get questions about Jody Fortson, but no, it, that's not at Chief Lutz or anybody. That's just... I don't think it's, you know, you don't, they don't need a, a designated big body backside X just to come catch fade routes. Now, would I like to see them try a fade route to Travis Kelsey? Yup, I would. Uh, even Sammy Watkins, I think, can high point a football. I wouldn't hate that idea either. Um, especially, you know, with all the weapons that this football team has, it could be a favorable matchup. Um, I wouldn't. I I think some of the play call choices, you know, like this team just fundamentally doesn't throw fades. I don't know why, uh, but I, I would like to see them maybe utilize some of their big body talents that they already have on their field. So for me, I talked about this on Twitter, and I think people kind of take it the wrong way because the red zone fade is one of the worst plays in all of football. <laughs> like the success rate is like thirty percent, which is fine. I fully understand that. I uh, I get it. 
what that doesn't consider is what getting 30% on fade routes does to open up slant routes or the front pylon back shoulder throws when you stem it the exact same way. When you include all of those, I bet that skyrockets. You cannot find more than maybe 10 to 15 cornerbacks in the NFL that consistent that could consistently guard a wide receiver that has talent that can run those three routes in the red zone. The Chiefs just simply don't do it. They never have. Patrick Mahomes' first year starting, they did a little bit more. Travis Kelsey kind of running up the seam to the back line of the end zone. They ran a few Sammy Watkins slants. Then it went away. It went back to this horizontal stretch. And I think from an efficiency model, these stretch kind of motion misdirection plays probably have a higher success rate than everything else. But you see the issue is when a team is ready for it, you can't make it work. You can't force this misdirection red zone offense to work if a team is well prepared, well, very ready for it. No matter what, if I take Travis Kelsey, split him out wide and isolate him and have him run the same, you know, one step stem that can go to any three routes, there's a chance it's going to be open no matter how well the defense prepared because he's that good. Patrick Mahomes is that good of a quarterback. I really think the Chiefs need to incorporate just some traditional red zone concepts just to keep defenses honest at some point in time. Molly Salt, our guy. I hate even typing this, but is Mitchell Schwartz done, Craig? Oh, Molly. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz is arguably my favorite member of the Chiefs offense. I, I think he's a good dude. I, I love what he has done throughout his career, not being this freak athlete, being this technical guy that can show up and beat up on all these excellent pass rushers. He's just one of those guys that you can put on an island and trust that he's going to get the job done, not just against, you know, random Joe Schmo average defensive end, but against a Khalil Mack, against a Joey Bosa, a Nick Bosa. You're just going to get him matched up with elite pass rushers and know you don't got to worry about things until this year. I do think he's done. I do think that back injury is much more significant than any of us realize. And I know that that's saying it coming from a time in the year where he's on IR for a back injury after a COVID stint. This is a problem for the Chiefs. Lucas Niang is waiting in the wings, and I know that we're all hoping that he's going to be good. But yeah, I think... Lucas Niang is going to be stepping into that role a lot sooner than maybe the Chiefs were ready to go with. I'm not optimistic either. Um, I don't think this back issue is new. Back issues are tough. They're really tough to deal with. Uh, and it, it's tough to overcome, and there's a certain point where it's just, it's, it's, I don't want to say impossible to. I'm just not optimistic. I hope he can. I hope he can come back, but it's certainly alarming. It's no, I think it's just interesting that there's really not any questions or mystery about Mitchell Schwartz's status. I don't think anybody's really asking all that much or be, or pushing too much or trying to get answers about it either. And maybe it's just because they continue to win. Maybe it's just because people expect him to just be ready for the playoffs. I don't know, but I just find it interesting how there's really not a ton of, you know, inquiries about about Mitchell Schwartz's status. I find that very interesting. Um, it's it's worth kind of reading between the lines on for me, personally at least. Leighton Y44, with the Steelers' loss, what would you guys say the odds are that the Chiefs get the first round by? So the, after the Steelers' loss, they kind of needed to win this one. Uh, this is their last like 
almost their last real give me game. Like I don't think that they play in the hardest division as much as everybody else does right now, but they have some difficult out of uh, division games coming up here. So with the Chiefs and the Steelers now tied, I mean, it comes down to whoever's going to win out. I think both teams are probably going to end up with one more loss. I just think that's how the NFL works. It's tricky. I mean, the Steelers don't have the same level of offense that the Chiefs do. They don't have the same win at no matter win at any cost kind of situation, but I don't think they play bad enough football. They play competent enough on both sides of the ball most of the time that they are going to squeak by for most of these wins. I know they have a hard game coming up this week with the Bills. They have a couple other hard ones, I think, on the road coming up after this, but I think the Chiefs lose one more, whether it's this week to the Dolphins or the Saints. I think the Steelers only lose one more. And I guess it all depends on where the losses come, who's going to hold the tiebreaker. I think that the Steelers are going to lose to the Bills this week. And I think that the Chiefs are going to be sitting in the number one seed. I agree with Maddie. I do think that the Chiefs are going to drop another game. I think the most likely one right now is probably against the New Orleans Saints. That for the purpose of tiebreaker, you know, situations does not hurt the Chiefs. So I think the Chiefs will be sitting in that number one seed. I think they both finish at least 14 and two. I could see maybe the Browns getting sneaky good at the end of the year, but I just think that Steelers defense a little too good. I think they're going to rattle Baker Mayfield. So I do think that both teams are probably going to finish at 14 and two. I think that the Steelers are going to lose to the Bills this week. And then I think they're going to lose to the Colts two weeks after that. Ooh. I think the Chiefs are going to win the division outright. No tiebreakers. I think they're going to win the AFC. Sorry, the AFC with a 15-1 record. Hmm. They're winning out. And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going 13-3. and three. Uh, That's my take. I'm giving it, you know, like I'm not going to, I'm not guaranteeing or anything. I give it like a 68 percent chance that they get the one person that they get the one seed uh all right captain denny asks we know offensive clip play calls can be held back do we think spags is doing that for the defense sure i i do think that there are some blitz calls i do think there are some pressure packages that steve spagnola is going to get out that he may never use again or some coverage rotations that he's going to get out and never use again just as likely that he's not going to rely on some of these other calls or some of these other blitzes, you know, in some of these early games in the hopes that he can catch an offense off guard. Now, this is a COVID year. I don't think that they've had the same sort of install time. I don't think they've had the same sort of execution time. It's not a thing. I know they haven't. So I do think that it's a little less likely on the defensive side of the football that they are not practicing some of this stuff and not sneaking it in every once in a while just to get some looks. But I do think that there are some calls, particularly blitzes. We know he's got an array of them that he's holding back a little bit for certain situations, just waiting for the right condensed formation, the right guy in the right spot so they can send that extra blitzer and get home. Do I think Steve Spagnuolo is holding back, like Craig said, certain blitzes or pressure packages for big situations or not even big situations, but specific situations? Sure. All throughout the year, you you might see a play only happen one time, but then he might put it in the back pocket until he has a team that he thinks it'll work against based on the tendencies he sees in the film room. Like, I don't think he's emptying everything he has. That said, in terms of bigger concepts, the whole concept, 
I don't think Steve Spagnuolo holds anything back. My man is out there throwing absolutely everything and the kitchen sink and your kitchen sink at offenses over and over again. He's not Andy Reid long game in this where you might see an entirely different just scheme for a drive or two in the playoffs or in big games. Like, he wants to put out there a lot of stuff. He likes to break tendencies. He likes to give you off-kilter stuff all the time. It's hard to hold back when you throw up as much as he does. I just I do think there will be very specific stuff that you haven't seen yet, though. I think it's a lot harder to create the same kind of variation that an offense can. So it's probably going to be stuff that maybe he ran last year, some stuff that he maybe threw at some teams a couple times last year that you wind up seeing later in the year. Um, but it may be not be entirely new stuff, if that makes sense. Uh, Kay Gumminger asks, if Mahomes was drafted by a divisional rival, would we as football nerds still love him or would he make us hate football? I think he'd probably make us hate football. <laughs> Especially because like, if there's not a Mahomes in Kansas City, that means that we've still gone where we've gone 37 years without a, you know, a quarterback in the first round potentially. And the chiefs passed on drafting Mahomes or didn't trade up for Mahomes, And he went to the chargers and was immediately changing the outlook of that franchise. And we'd still be miserable wondering when we're going to get our guy. So I think he'd make us hate football for a lot of different reasons, not just because he's so good, but just like having him there twice a year to remind us that we don't have our guy still would be pretty depressing. Yeah. Uh, coming from somebody who, unlike these guys, grew up with John Elway, um, giving the Chiefs everything they could, regardless of what your thoughts are on John Elway, he was one of those dudes that was good enough to always give them the advantage against the Chiefs specifically. So I I think it's it would be tough. Like it's fun now to look at the Chargers and be like, man, hey, that Justin Herbert's pretty good at football. He he's kind of fun to watch, knowing that you've got the better quarterback in your back pocket, and you know that you're going to be able to beat that team. You know, nine times out of ten. It's fun to look at guys like that, but no, if we didn't have that and we were still sitting here watching, God forbid, Tyler Palco again, then we'd be sitting here angry that another team had something we didn't. We would hate football. I would hate football. I would hate every ounce of football that has ever existed for the longest time ever because... Just look at how much Jets, Dolphins, and Bills fans despise Tom Brady. Like, they've gotten to the point after 20 years where they respect him, but there for, at the 10-year mark, they despise them so much, and I feel like that would be every Chiefs fan if Patrick Mahomes was in the division and just whooping you up and down the field consistently. It would be the worst thing ever, and like Craig said, we'd probably be sitting here even worse than Palco with Tyler Bray trying to lead us or something like that. hey Tupelo Dan, is it possible that analysts like yourselves tend to focus too much on one or two good or bad plays in a game in coming to your evaluation of a player? It seems like a lot of problem positions like quarterback and offensive line tend to be silently effective on this team 95% of the time. I mean, when you are looking at NFL-level players, you definitely have guys that know what they're doing. That's why they're on the field. That's, you know, they're guys that can reasonably function as an NFL starter for 
you know, 50, 60, maybe 70, 75% of the time, you focus on a few of the flaws because that's what separates them from guys that are lining up across them. They get got on a specific move, you know, an interior offensive lineman that really struggles with, you know, penetration, struggles with speed. You look at him going up against Grady Jarrett or, you know, Chris Jones, for instance, and you say, hey, oh man, that's going to be a problem. Then you can kind of try and target it because that's, that's what teams do as well. They're looking at all the positives. They're looking to put the players in the best chance to succeed. But once they're in the league, these guys are, you know, have shown that they deserve to be there. Now you got to find the ways to fix the one or two deficiencies or hide the one or two deficiencies. It's why Steve Spagnolo plays with split safeties as often as he does, more often than anybody else in the league because he doesn't trust his cornerbacks to have the long speed. He doesn't trust them on an island, and that's fine. He just won a Super Bowl doing that. He recognizes the deficiencies of the players. The one or two plays a game that he knows that can get him, put six points on the board, and he focuses on making sure that he stops those, sometimes at the detriment of some other things, but preventing teams from being able to just basically impose their will on you, you know, for those 25% of the plays, you try and minimize that as much as possible. I think some of it is, you know, you t- we we might highlight one or two good or bad plays, but it's also the process to get there. Um, if the process isn't consistent, um, for instance, it, it might actually, it, it might not have hurt them on some plays, but it wasn't a good process and it could have hurt the team, you know, um, bad technique, you know, showing, you know, uh, an inability to move and climb to the second level for an offensive lineman. There's missed opportunities that maybe we aren't talking about every single one of the issues, but kind of highlighting a couple of the high level points to kind of show, you know, the, the, the high or low ends of, of what that problem is, um, or showing the byproduct of bad process, I think is part of it too. So, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> Obviously, like you know, we can't like we're not going to sit down. And maybe some of y'all would interested in us just sitting there and walking, walking and breaking down every single play. But I think it's just kind of trying to show the root, uh, root issues and or the byproduct of the bad process. I think a lot of the times, um, for instance, and this isn't just to slander like McColl, for instance, but this is one that just kind of kind of came up. It's you know with with that out route, you know that Mahomes was telling him to you know kind of work back. That's bad. I mean, that's that's not new. That's not something that has, um, you know, just manifested itself. He's struggled to get flat and friendly on a lot of routes, and part of it's just his limitations as a route runner because he's not the most. He's kind of just a linear player. Like that's kind of one of the things that we've had that talk about is just that's part of the process with him is just he he struggles with similar stuff like that in a lot of different instances. The reason that play got blown up by Mahomes and like you know a lot of people are talking about is because it finally kind of showed up and manifested itself a little differently. Um, so there's just kind of like an example, not to just completely dunk on McCall. Like that's just me. and and to my point, coaching staff doesn't ask him to run a ton of those. Exactly, like they're they're working on it, but they're putting him in his best chance to succeed, and he's a he's a good player, you know, right. doing those things that he's doing. Yeah, they really introduced that out route recently. Mm-hmm. They've tried to get him more involved in that capacity because they're trying to help expand his route tree. And, you know, you saw earlier against Denver, a lot of success. This time, struggles to get flat and friendly. Uh, Sat, 
112.985. Can you define the traits that we should look for in an, a collegiate offensive tackle who could make the switch inside? Any speci any players specifically fit this transition in the 2021 draft class? I mean, I don't think there's any like positive traits that you're thinking that you're going to take a tackle to kick them inside. It's usually if a player can play tackle and you're going to keep them at tackle, it's when they can't play tackle, but they have other redeeming qualities that you still want to put them on the field. So one of the big ones is having under 33 inch arms. You kind of can't play tackle or the NFL thinks you can't play tackle. Now, that's changing a little bit as we get farther, you know, more advanced. You've had some guys come out with right around 33 inch, even a little under that they're trying at tackle first, but that's where you start. So if you get a guy that has shorter arms playing at tackle, maybe he's got really good technique. Maybe he's an athlete, just something. But if he can't find a way to maximize his length and has shorter arms, you consider kicking him inside. If you get an offensive tackle that has pretty heavy feet, maybe they don't, maybe he doesn't have missteps, maybe he has pretty good technique, but his feet are just kind of heavy. He picks him up far off the ground. He can't move laterally very well, but instead works really good coming on a vertical set or short setting a pass rusher. You can maybe talk about moving him to the guard. Like it really depends on each player specific, but for the most part, you're looking for guys that are shorter, that don't deal very well with being out in space, and that kind of have stiff hips. They're a little bit more lack lateral mobility. I will say the one thing I like from a tackle that moves inside, I do want him to have some level of core strength. You can't be a tackle that had that struggles with core strength and then kick inside and make me think that you're going to be good because you are going to be dealing with bigger, stronger players. A lot of times they play with better leverage than defensive ends do. Like I'm talking about defensive tackles. You have to have good core strength to be able to hold up there. But if you have that, but you struggle out in space, yeah, we'll give you a chance inside. And as far as players, like the easiest one is Alaric Jackson, left tackle for Iowa. He's not necessarily short armed, but he doesn't have super long arms. He really struggles when he gets out into space. You isolate him versus a speed rusher. You can tell he doesn't have the foot speed or the hip mobility to mirror him, but you kick him inside, ask him to play in a phone booth, deal with big, strong guys. He's a people mover. I think he will absolutely excel if you kick him inside. He'll absolutely struggle if you play him outside. Uh, I can't add anything from a technique standpoint to that. So I will just say Elijah Vera Tucker from USC is another guy. USC right now is playing him at left tackle. He played at left guard last year, but another guy that they moved him there to maybe improve his draft stock a little bit. Maybe they just felt like they had a guy or that they trusted him a little bit more on the edge, but it put him more on an island. You see that show up sometimes. What Maddie was saying, maybe his, his movement isn't as good as a more natural left tackle, but a guy that you've seen play left guard and that you can feel pretty comfortable with the power level that he plays with to move him inside, to be able to drive block some guys and be able to anchor against pass protection. You, you can see some of those things on the edge anyway, but yeah, if you're on the edge, you just don't typically get the same sort of help that you do when you're on the inside. Jackie Jared asks, would you rather draft Trey Smith, Sam Cosme, Elijah Vera Tucker, or Creed Humphrey? Landon Dickerson, center of Alabama, out of Alabama. No, he's, <laughs> hey. he's not an option, so I'll save him for another podcast. I'm, I would take the guy that Craig just talked about, Elijah Vera Tucker, I actually think that he could play tackle. I don't know if he's going to be a better tackle than guard, but I do think he could play there. I think in his first reps playing outside, he's done a pretty good job. I think he has the baseline movement, not a lot more, but the baseline movement to function out in space. 
And then I think a lot of the other things he does is really well there. So I would take him worst case scenario, and I would have no problem kicking him into guard right away. I think he's an absolute stud at the guard. He's a mauler. He has powerful hands. And if he gets his hands on you, I mean, it's kind of, it's over. So I think he could play at either position, but I know I'm getting a good guard. I think I'm getting a good tackle. I think he has the highest upside and probably the safest four out of these guys. I, I would agree with that, but I'll go with Creed Humphrey. Uh, smart player, a guy that lots of, you know, Oklahoma Sooners quarterbacks have lined up behind now. He was the guy in charge of calling protections. That's the thing that the Chiefs really like. That's why Austin Ryder's on the field. They pre- they feel pretty comfortable with him calling protections and working in symbiosis with Patrick Mahomes. I feel like this is another guy that could do that. He plays with power. He's very quick off the snap. He's a guy that get some movement, get some displacement, and can really kind of reach around some of these nose tackles and get guys open, get holes blown open, and he's good in pass pro as well. I just think that that level of brain screams more Andy Reid on the inside than a lot of guys just because he has been so good doing it for so long with a revolving cast of characters around him and they've largely been good protecting the quarterback because of what he's done up front. Uh, it's Elijah Vera Tucker, and I I know I, obviously it'd be cool to like talk about one of the other guys, but if you want me to my legit who would I rather? It's Elijah Vera Tucker. We were watching him. We were watching him this week, and I mean I he legit might be a tackle. Uh, he's and, good. And a, he's very good out at tackle. I don't think he. I don't know if he's gonna have to kick inside. What you're getting is an exceptional talent. And he's worthy of you know, Maddie's throughout top twenty, and he he might be right mm-hmm. on this guy. I think he actually moves pretty well for a man his size, physical football player, um, good out on the edge, good in space. There's a lot to like about this guy, uh, and it, for a team that might need a tackle, might need a guard, just needs offensive line help and an offensive line talent on this football team, I'd be thrilled to get this guy. Not to knock Sam Cosme or Trey Smith or Creed Humphrey. Elijah Vera Tucker is a more versatile and better football player than any of these guys. Chief Anglin asks, in honor of Alex Smith helping the Chiefs once again, what is your favorite Alex Smith moment? Um, For me, I think I am going to go with the comeback against the Chargers. You saw that fire from him. You know, the iconic photo of the bearded Alex Smith celebrating a big win. Um, that was a pretty cool moment for him. Uh, the, you know, kind of like the the second like the runner up for me i think just watching him kind of air it out a little bit more and not care as much about you know throwing interceptions in that 2017 season was kind of fun seeing him rise to the occasion of the competition and ultimately um earning himself a big payday elsewhere i think that was pretty cool yeah that was going to be mine as well but i'll go with the playoff victory over the Houston Texans just because it had been 30 years it had been so long wasn't 30 years it had been so long since the Chiefs have actually won a playoff game it was it was just fun to actually have a postseason victory under a belt again regardless of what happened after that it was just really nice to have that one I I know the the pain and the torture all around it and everything like that was what it was but having Alex go out there and get the one playoff victory was cool before they handed the reins over to Patrick Mahomes and let him run rampant. So I don't want to make anybody mad, and this is with all due respect to Alex Smith. 
I like him as a per- love him as a person. He was good for the Chiefs organization and everything. My favorite Alex Smith moment was laying in my bed, getting an alert on my phone that the Chiefs had traded him away because that meant that Patrick Mahomes was about to be the starting quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. And again, this is no disrespect to Alex Smith. I am glad he has been able to work back through what he went through to get back on the field, to win a big game, to play well in situations. It's just getting that alert that he had been traded for something meant that it was time for Patrick Mahomes to start. And I mean, the absolute best thing that Alex Smith has done was get the Chiefs in a position to know that they needed to go get Patrick Mahomes help Patrick Mahomes get ready for the NFL and take over as the best quarterback in the league. That is how I will always remember him is for being responsible for the Chiefs getting to Patrick Mahomes in some way, shape, or form. The final moment of that was the alert that he got traded away after the season ended. If we're being honest, all of us kind of have that sentiment. But there is a lot of love and admiration and appreciation, and we're not trying to slander him in his good name when we say that. It's just how much we love Patrick Mahomes. That's going to do it for this edition of the AP Laboratory. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back with the game preview later this week. We'll catch you later.